Hey guys, welcome back to the GOAT Podcast. This is your host, Michael Clark. I have with me again another special guest today. Go ahead and introduce yourself, buddy. My name is Bradley Joseph Clark. I go by BJ Clark. And Papa B to my children. Uh, we are thankful that Dad has taken some time to join the podcast for just a few minutes. He um, cannot stay for the whole episode. That's totally okay. He won't want to stay and hear what I'm projecting teams to do anyway. I can guarantee you that. Hopefully you will. But before we get started, I want to make sure to remind you in about three weeks after the draft, so three weeks from today, basically, we will be moving the show from the master feed to only on its main you know, show so you need to type in going on a tangent to all major podcast platforms and subscribe to the red graphic with the goat. Red graphic, goat, going on a tangent. Now, I have brought my father on today because he has been retired for many years from fantasy football. However, my love for fantasy football began because dad did fantasy football and every year we would do leagues together. We didn't do dynasty leagues together really. But we did have the what they call a redraft league. Every year your team is different. So I thought, trying to cover all sides of fantasy football, it would be kind of neat to get your perspective of what the game used to be like, how scoring was, other things. I'm going to try to get with Dan Cates and do the same thing because he also is from that cut, cut from the same cloth of years before the computer. And also some strategies you would give to redraft people that are out there that want to basically take home a championship this year. So go ahead. Well, I can tell you it's definitely different today than it was when I first started. In the years that I got started in fantasy football, I kid you not, the only way we could know the results is to wait for the morning paper <laughs> the next day to come out. And I would take the morning paper. Monday was often my day off anyway. And if I took part of it off, I would go and buy the morning paper. I'd go to Mrs. Winter's Chicken Place in South Haven and I would take a full page in the newspaper, would have all of the statistics from the previous day's NFL games, and I'd have to go through there and see how many yards my guys had, how many catches, any touchdowns, all of that. And so that took quite a while. Yeah. It's so amazing now that you can find out immediately and get real-time scoring during the game. Right. And that's... The scoring's a lot different now than it was when I first started. It was more traditional then. We had, uh, you know, six points for a touchdown, though. Right. And, uh, but I learned quickly that you could not just go by what you enjoyed the most about football. I was more enamored with watching the passing game, but when I started playing fantasy football, and to some extent, I'm sure it's still true today, the running game was still where it's at, the running backs. Some people want to draft the flashy quarterback that's the world you know, yeah. leader of all statistics and touchdowns and things of that nature. But sometimes a journeyman running back who gets the ball consistently and knows how to score touchdowns in the red zone, those guys can be even more... Uh, you know, effective than the flashy guys that are the all-stars. Yeah, that and people that have listened to the podcast, you've heard me say running backs are supreme. This is why, because I learned at my dad's, you know, feet, so to speak, and I watched every time we would do a league together, he always picked up the running back off the waiver wire, 
right before he would go off on a five to seven week tangent, you know, and just destroy the league. And it always made me mad because I started putting in bids for that player too, but he somehow always was able to beat me at the waiver wire. And I learned running back is where it's at. Yeah. Because, you know, in scoring, a lot of uh, receivers may get a 60-yard touchdown pass or catch, but they don't get the ball. They don't touch the ball as many times as a running back. Now, right. I will say this. There was a time when our league even changed a little bit to where we started giving one point per reception. Mm-hmm. And the Cardinals had a running back back then that got the ball thrown to him about 10 times a game. Yeah. And so I realized even though he didn't rack up the stats as much in the running game, yards per carry, he was a consistent 10 to 12, 15 point producer when it came to the receiving game. Yeah. And then when he, he would run it, that was just icing on the cake. Right. And so that guy was, one year he had well over 100 catches, and that was at that time very unheard of for a running back. Yeah. So as we begin to kind of close out our time together, because I know you got a lot of stuff you're trying to get done too, the two things that I remember the most were running backs, but also quarterback. You had a really good take on how to get a quarterback late in a draft. What was your strategy there? Yeah. I looked at teams that absolutely depended on their quarterbacks that weren't that good in their one loss record, but could consistently be counted on. For example, Back in that day and time, Matthew Stafford was with the Lions. and The Lions weren't winning championships, right. and they weren't making it deep into the playoffs. But that man was throwing the ball all over the lot. Yeah. And even though he was never ranked very high in the drafted quarterbacks at the time I was playing, uh, he was consistent in his production and – they were going to him. You want yeah. a quarterback that's an absolute, not game manager so much, but someone that the whole team is basically looking to him to save them. And so right. in some of the better teams, there's more balance between the passing game and the running game. And so that quarterback might have a bigger name recognition, but he may throw the ball less and for less yards than the guy that plays on a 7-8 and eight team or yeah. – you know, uh, seven and nine team back then. So Matthew Stafford was my go-to every year. I tried to get him. And then backups that were, <clears throat> again, maybe not on people's radar, but I thought this guy is going to be consistently used. Yeah. And he's going to get me the points that I need. Yeah. Well, and, and this is how we can close this out with just a few more sentences here about something funny because I've been very much molded by watching you and how you did it. And I understand the same thing. You know, probably today you would look at Kirk Cousins as a guy like that, and Matthew Stafford could still be in that conversation. But a guy that's going to throw the ball a lot, but he's not necessarily going to win MVP in the league, but he might win MVP in your fantasy league. Right. So the last thing I want to talk about is our first and final matchups against each other. Mm -hmm. And um, I will go first and talk about our first matchup, and I'll let you have the last hurrah say. Sure. Um, I I knew nothing about fantasy football. (laughs) I was as green as they come, and I think in that league was the one where I named my team. It's all about the W. (laughs) And uh, I had just been so convinced I had this stellar draft. I was going to be great. 
and I was going against Dad, whose team name was the Clarksville Cobras, and I thought, this is the moment, and I ended up beating him, like 82.10 to 82.0, a tenth of a point, and uh, boy, I lorded that over you for months, because it was the only win that I ever got, (laughs) so my team name was correct, it's all about the single W that I got, But you did get the last hurrah because the last game that you ever played was against me in... In the championship game, yes. Do you remember how many points you beat me by? I don't. I still do. Okay. <laughs> it was five. Five points. Five points. And I remember because you thought all weekend you were going to lose. And I remember thinking, he's too good. Like, he he's always comes back. And just, like, because your philosophy also, too, was... Try to have somebody playing Sunday night and Monday night. Right. And that's also something that I've adopted. And I think on Sunday night football, Julius Thomas for the Denver Broncos had a 15-point game. Yep. And he beat me by five because of it. And I had no players left to go. And so I switched a lot of my philosophy after that, poached a lot of your players when you left because we were doing Dynasty at that point. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. But – that first matchup will always be funny, and that last matchup is always like a, man, that, that kind of helped me learn what I needed to do better. And so uh, as you leave, do you have any final pieces of wisdom or things you want to say? Yeah, um, and it's really something that you learned the hard way, and oh, yeah. I probably took advantage oh, of man. you. We are going to talk about it, yes. You don't want to go with your homers, your team, yes. <laughs> the, your favorite team's players just because you like your favorite team. Uh, look, I'm the biggest Pittsburgh Steelers fan and a huge Heinz Ward fan. Yep. And I knew my son was coming along. Michael, you were loving the Steelers as well. And I had Heinz uh, Ward on my team, but there was a guy named Roddy White that was producing at a higher level and I thought would get even more involved because he was pretty much that team's go-to guy, which is what you want. Heinz Ward was a great blocker. He'd get his catches, but he generally shared the load more than Roddy White did. So uh, I was willing to trade Heinz Ward for Roddy White, not because I like the Falcons better, but because (laughs) I thought he would score me more points. And I remember thinking after week one, because Heinz Ward had like a 200-point game. He had like 10. It was an unreal game for Heinz Ward. And I remember thinking, my dad, just why, why would he do this? This is so bad for him. Boy, Roddy White had like a top five fantasy season that year, and Heinz Ward had like a top 25. Mm-hmm. And so it was, I quickly learned, oh, that's why he did that. Uh, and uh, if you if you are listening to this, Monica, you're probably laughing because Monica calls me, you know, somebody who's very vicious in trading and tries to get as much as I can. I also learned that from my father, you know, right. because that's what you do. You're trying to find good pl- good uh, pieces to be able to help you win a championship. If somebody goes off and has a tremendous week and you don't think they're likely to do that all year long, that's the perfect time to try to trade them yeah. and get someone that might not have had as good a week as they're going to have on average throughout the year. So you, you try to take the guy that just really stood out and – Trade him for someone that uh, you think is going to do more consistently but didn't do it that last Sunday. And so yeah. there's more of a, hey, i got to get this guy that yeah. just went off. 
And that is uh, that is a, another thing that I learned from you. So, I mean, if, if I were to write a book about this, <laughs> you could read it and go, I wrote this. Because almost everything that I do, I watched him do. And it was always satisfying to watch him beat a guy that had been trash-talking all week or something in some of the leagues that we were in on NFL.com or Fox Sports. And to watch you win a championship in a league where you did some unconventional strategies and people would make fun of that, and then you'd win the championship, and people would have to eat some crow. And so uh, I've had some similar moments like that, and it's just as sweet. But, Dad, thanks for joining the podcast. My pleasure. And uh, we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to do my final two uh, divisions, a mock draft, seven rounds for the AFC and NFC North. See you in just a moment. Man, that was cool. All right, so... We're going to have the ability now to talk about the final two teams, the final two divisions of our seven-round mock. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. I am not an expert by any means. But I hope what you've taken away from this is I, I know a little bit about the sport, and I hope that that will be a good takeaway going forward. So let's get into the Chicago Bears. The Bears at one time had the number one pick, the number one pick. And they gave it all away because they believe in Justin Fields. And so they said, essentially, we're going to ride Justin Fields for another season and just see what happens. And lo and behold, the Panthers traded a host of draft picks and DJ Moore to the Bears. So the Bears have already drafted, if you will, a star wide receiver. They moved down eight spots, and so at number nine, I've been pounding the table all offseason about this. At number nine, the Chicago Bears select Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle, Ohio State. If you are going to protect Justin Fields, if you are going to protect what you want to invest, and by taking Justin Fields to another year, you are saying, There are no excuses to be made, no excuses. Then you've got to get him a blue chip tackle. You've got to. And so that's what I have them doing at pick number nine. At pick number 54, I have them going to the edge position. Felix Anaduke Uzama, I'm probably going to hear that name on Thursday or uh, Friday night and be completely baffled at how they are going to pronounce it and be proven wrong in how I pronounce it, all this draft coverage. But what I know is... The Bears are at their best when their defense is suffocating. And they haven't had that in quite some time. The argument could even be made if Jalen Carter is there at 9 that they would say, we can get a tackle at 54. We can't get Jalen Carter. So as much as I think Paris Johnson is the right pick, don't be surprised if the Bears end up going for Jalen Carter if he's there. Also, don't be surprised as we talked about if they trade down. They might want to accumulate more draft picks. At pick number 62, they go to the cornerback realm, DJ Turner. And at pick number 65, they take Sidney Brown. Here's where things get a little bit different and a little bit interesting. You're kind of, in my opinion, around pick 100, it's about darts at the board. Monica, you know, and those of you that listen to me know that darts at the board is one of my favorite phrases. Throw them at the board, see what sticks. It's about volume. At this point, it's about having the opportunity to make enough picks that you could sit back and say, hey, 
we're bound to have hit on one of them. I think the statement is true. Monica texted me after yesterday's episode, and she said, you know, yeah, you can't find Antonio Brown and Tom Brady as a guarantee in every draft, but it seems like there's always one. And I think Isaiah Pacheco last year is one of those you know, players. Brock Purdy comes to mind. There's always a couple of guys that just come out of nowhere. George Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Richard Sermon, uh, Sherman, not Sermon. Uh, this is a, <laughs> supposed to be a Christian podcast, but not that kind of podcast. But uh, you, you always have those guys that show up. So at pick 104, I have the Chicago Bears selecting Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson. Wide receiver out of Stanford. But, Michael, they just traded for DJ Moore, and they've got Chase Claypool, and they have Darnell Mooney. I don't care. Chase Claypool was a failed experiment at this point in time. And the problem for Chase Claypool is you can't play any games between now and Thursday. And, and, you know, Thursday through Saturday. And so all that Chase has to show for his trade, where he was traded for the 32nd overall pick, is not great because they went out and traded for DJ Moore. With the amount of picks that they own now in the first and second rounds, you're going to tell me that they couldn't have gotten, let's say round, you know, round two, pick 54. A Josh Downs wouldn't have been available. On and on we could go. No. So they're at pick number 104, they're taking Michael Wilson, wide receiver out of Stanford. Here's the other part. At pick number 134, I have them taking running back out of Syracuse, Sean Tucker. I do believe Khalil Herbert is the guy. There are arguments and people that say, well, the Bears will take Bijan Robinson at nine. I, I just don't know that I see that. I mean, I could... But you have a running quarterback, and you have a guy in Khalil Herbert that has shown that he can play well. Leonard Fournette is still a free agent. Derrick Henry might be able to be had for a trade if you really do want to go that way and not spend a ton of you know, draft capital. Yeah, Derrick Henry costs some money, don't get me wrong, but I would trust Derrick Henry in that offense more than I would trust B. John Robinson. And not because I don't like B. John Robinson. You know B. John's my number one player in this draft but because I think Bijan Robinson should not go to a team with a running quarterback. That will hurt his value. Please don't let that happen, NFL. At pick number 137, uh, Olusigan or interior offensive line, Michigan. Again, it's about protecting your assets up front. It's about putting players up front that will help you. And then the final pick that I made for the Chicago Bears was Keandre Coburn, interior defensive lineman, Texas. They still have two picks left, and the Bears take Bumper Pool, one of the coolest names in this draft, a linebacker out of Arkansas, and then Malik Cunningham, a quarterback out of Louisville. This draft does not make the Chicago Bears contenders next year by any means. Now, the Aaron Rodgers trade helps. But it doesn't make them contenders by any means. Don't get me wrong. They're a ways away from that. But what I do know is that the Chicago Bears are maybe two to three drafts away if Justin Fields can continue from being scary good in the NFC North. So let's move on to the Detroit Lions. The Lions are a team that if they hit in this year's draft and they've got the ability to, The Lions will be a scary team. 
And it doesn't really sound right to say that, but we've said it all off season. At pick number six, I have them taking Tyree Wilson, an edge out of Texas Tech. He's one of our top players in this draft. I love Tyree. I love what he can bring to the table. And some might be thinking, now wait a minute, why is Jalen Carter not going? Dan Campbell is on record as having stated he doesn't want character issues. He wants high-quality guys. Right now, Jalen Carter is not that guy. Will he probably end up on a team and still be an awesome player, and would he make the Detroit Lions better defensively? Yeah, he would. But I heard a report earlier this week that even if they had the number one pick in last year's draft, they still would have drafted Aiden Hutchinson. I believe that. Because they had all these opportunities. They take Panay Sewell a couple of years ago, as well as Jeff Okuda. Now, Jeff Okuda was a failed experiment because he was just traded to the Falcons a couple of days ago, maybe a week or so now. But I don't, I don't see anybody but Tyree Wilson at number six, unless they are going to continue to build that offensive line. But as much as I like Paris Johnson Jr., and Broderick Jones, I, I think Tyree is the pick here. They come back in the first round with another selection at pick number 18, and I have them taking a tight end out of Notre Dame, Michael Meyer. Their trade of TJ Hawkinson last year was puzzling at best. Now, if it works out like it does for them in this mock draft, not as puzzling because they still get a tight end back, and they are able to add another second-round pick in this year's draft from the Minnesota Vikings. But It was strange that they traded TJ Hawkinson because, number one, he was a great tight end. And number two, they traded him to a division opponent. Now, you sometimes will see trades made between division rivals. A few years ago, I think for a seventh or sixth round pick, the Steelers and the Ravens made a trade with Chris Wormley. And the Steelers were able to make a good, you know, couple of three-year stretch, I guess, with him out of that. He played 2020. 2021 and 2022 with the Steelers. He's currently a free agent. He might be re-signed after the draft. But you don't see star players. Like, this would be the equivalent of Patrick Mahomes being traded to the Broncos. One of the best players on the team going to another division opponent. That's strange. TJ Hawkinson, by many accounts, is not better than Travis Kelsey. But you could argue that TJ Hawkinson's a top three tight end, and it's a toss-up between him and Mark Andrews. And yet, he's in Minnesota now. So I have them taking Michael Meyer at number 18. At pick number 49, I have them taking a cornerback out of Maryland. They did get rid of Jeff Okuda. you got to replace this guy. And I have them taking Deontay Banks. And then I have them coming back about seven picks later and taking Siaki Ika, interior defensive line out of Baylor. Now here's the thing. If you told the Detroit Lions, hey, you can take Jalen Carter at 6, and then you can take whatever edge player is available at 56, or you told them, hey, I'll give you Tyree Wilson, what many people are saying could be the number 2 pick, and you still get an interior defensive lineman that is very high on a lot of people's boards at 56, would, would which would they take? What do you think? I know what they would take. They would have to take this one. Now, I'm going to say that, and they're going to draft Jalen Carter at number six. I guarantee it now. But I stand by my statement. It doesn't seem like the type of pick that Dan Campbell's Lions are all about. 
At pick number 82, the last pick that I made before the computer took over, DeMarvian Overshone, linebacker out of Texas. Malcolm Rodriguez last year was a sixth-round pick, I believe, or a fifth-round pick, and he played quite well. But you need another guy, too. Alex Anzalone has uh, not many years left on his contract. I don't believe he might have re-signed for a couple of more seasons. But you need that insurance in case Malcolm Rodriguez has a setback or Anzalone gets hurt or leaves. And so I have them taking that linebacker out of Texas. At pick number 154, I have them taking Tyson Badgent, according to the CPU, a quarterback out of Shepard. Makes sense. Jared Goff is the guy. I think that's very well documented at this point. And you just are really getting a backup. At pick 185, the CPU has them taking Braden Daniels, an interior offensive lineman out of Utah. And at pick number 196, Christian Young. Now we come to the Green Bay Packers, who just completely had to ruin my mock draft, didn't they? We have to switch the 13th and the 15th selection. Now let me see what that would be, because that would put the New York Jets as taking... Brian Breesey at 15. I'm good with that. And it means that the Green Bay Packers at number 15, which is now number 13, they're taking Lucas Van Ness, an edge player out of Iowa. I might change that because in my mock draft, they had not yet traded these picks away and they hadn't yet done what what they ended up doing. I don't believe they have the number 46 overall pick, so I might would have traded... Uh, changed that from Lucas Van Ness to Dalton Kincaid, but alas, I can't do it. In my fairy tale world, at 46, the Packers would have stayed pat, and they would have taken Sam Laporta, another Iowa product, a tight end that many people are calling George Kittle 2.0. At number 79, I have the Green Bay Packers coming back and taking Luke Whipler, an interior offensive lineman out of Ohio State. At 117, they take a wide receiver out of Houston, Nathaniel Dell, And then the rest of the draft is completely CG. Uh, We have Jordan McFadden, offensive tackle out of Clemson. Jason Taylor, the second, a safety out of Oklahoma State. Jacob Slade, interior defensive lineman out of Michigan State. And hold the phone, I didn't notice this, Stetson Bennett, quarterback out of Georgia. Wow, the CPU did Jordan Love dirty there because Stetson Bennett has always had a giant chip on his shoulder. And I think if you told Stetson that you're going to go to a quarterback needy team like Green Bay that if Jordan Love throws one interception, you know what the fan base is going to start going, Stetson, Stetson, Stetson. Stetson Bennett is this year's Tim Tebow. I said what I said. If he goes to a team like that, the only way he's not this year's Tim Tebow is if he goes to a team like the Chiefs, the Bills, the Eagles a team that already has their quarterback so entrenched that there's no way that they're replacing him. Anywhere else that he goes, you're going to hear those chants. At pick number 244, they have them taking Jack Podlesny, a kicker or punter out of the Bulldogs. Don't know much about kickers or punters. Normally I can't even find them when I do these drafts, so uh, kudos to the CPU for helping. Then Yasir Abdullah, a linebacker out of Louisville. Thus rounds out the Green Bay Packers. Now we come to the final team in the Minnesota Vikings of the NFC North. I have them at 24, staying put, and taking Zay Flowers, a wide receiver out of Boston College. 
I, I toyed with Quentin Johnston. I toyed with, you know, giving them a, another receiver that was a little bit bigger. Jordan Addison would come to mind six feet, but I think Zay Flowers is a good complement to what Justin Jefferson brings. And we'll have some news about Justin Jefferson in just a few moments. But I, I believe wholeheartedly Zay Flowers would thrive in Minnesota. At pick number 88, I have uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, cornerback out of TCU. They lost two cornerbacks this offseason. One went to the Steelers and Patrick Peterson. They were going to lose him soon anyway. He's in his 30s. He's not going to play forever. And another one was a failed draft pick that they just kind of let walk. So you got to replace that guy. My last pick for the Minnesota Vikings was number 120, and it was Israel Abanaconda, running back out of Pittsburgh. The rumors about Dalvin Cook are swirling, and I just don't know that, what is it, uh, Madison, Anthony Madison? I don't even know his name right now. Um, I'm going to look it up while I'm talking. I just don't know that that is going to be their star running back in a couple of years. I don't know. He's kind of at a point where he might be up for a contract in a few weeks, a few months, but uh, Alexander Madison, Anthony Madison, Alexander Madison. I think if you take a chance on a guy in the 120th range, you know, there's nothing that says that he will or will not hit. The rest of the draft was covered by the CPU. It was two more picks, so the – yeah, the Vikings don't have a lot of draft capital in this year's draft, and I think a lot of that has to do with the trade for TJ Hawkinson. But at pick number 160, Cam Jones, a linebacker out of Indiana, was selected. And who an interior offensive lineman, Jerome Carvin. Jerome Carvin. Let's have a moment now and talk about the rumor mill before we go to the AFC North to close this podcast out. The rumor mill. It has been reported that the Bucks have officially picked up the fifth-year option for offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs. It has also been reported that quarterback Tyler Huntley signed his restricted free agent tender. It is now official that Jordan Love will be the new quarterback one for the Green Bay Packers. Andrew Brandt tweeted the following. He says, what I still don't understand from a Jets perspective is the 2024 second converts to a first with 65% playtime only. No statistical conditions, no playoff conditions, really? He also tweeted, this is one of the best days in Chicago Bears history. The next rumor and something to be thinking about, Packers have until May 1st to decide on Jordan Love's $20 million fifth-year option. He's thrown 83 passes so far in the NFL. Andrew Brandt came back onto Twitter and stated that the 2038 trade of Jordan Love to the Jets will be interesting. I think he's right. I want to take a little bit of credit for this next one, just a little. I I try not to to act like I know everything because I I definitely don't. Uh, My son on the podcast yesterday had better takes than I did. But I said a couple of weeks ago now, that I felt like the Denver Broncos would take a quarterback at number 67 or 68. It's now being reported that the Broncos are expected to sniff around 
Purdue's Aiden O'Connell with the 67th and 68th pick in the NFL in the NFL draft. That's interesting to me. Um, I think if you are the uh, Denver Broncos and you take a quarterback in this draft with your first pick, or if you were to mortgage your third-round picks and somehow get into the second round and, and get a Hendon Hooker, let's say, Russell Wilson's days will be numbered. The next rumor is that the Bucks will not trade Devin White. They're not going to honor his request. We expect him to be here when the season starts because that always works out so well. Um, yeah, cool. John Lynch says that the 49ers will not listen if teams are calling about Nick Bosa. Okay, duh. Um, he also stated that the phone calls from Trey Lance, these reports are from uh, Pro Football Talk, and then Adam Schefter tweeted this. 49ers GM John Lynch on trade talks for Trey Lance. It hasn't been extremely active, and it's not like we've put it out there that, hey, we're taking offers for Trey, call 1-800 to... That's not been the process. It hasn't been that substanti- substantive. Um, and we're focused as it is as is on Trey on the 2023 season. The next rumor from around the NFL is that there have been no calls for Derrick Henry. They have not received trade calls for Derrick Henry. I don't believe that. Also, the 49ers apparently checked in on Lamar Jackson. And y'all keep telling me in the football world, that Brock Purdy season is here. You realize if Brock Purdy's healthy, but you sign Lamar Jackson, Purdy's not seeing the field until Lamar gets hurt about November 1st, right? Come on. Next rumor. NFL coach says that Will Anderson Jr. is not a top-five pick. Hmm. And he also says I'd be shocked if he was an all-pro. Well, the Jets have made $43.7 million in cap space by creating his 50, Aaron Rodgers picking up his 58.3 option uh, bonus creates a massive salary cap help for them. And so the Jets have some money to spend, and there's still quite a few free agents out there that I think you could see them bring in. The Jets are currently what the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. If you're wondering what to you know describe them as, that's it. The next rumor, and we're coming down the home stretch here, Reddit post has moved the draft odds. A viral post has claimed that Will Levis has told people Panthers will pick him number one and Vegas has noticed. Uh, and then later, I read that the Panthers have decided on their top pick. They have a consensus on which quarterback Carolina will take number one overall. Now we have some options that have been picked up. I said earlier we'd have some news about Justin Jefferson. Well, the Vikings have picked up his fifth-year option for his rookie contract, meaning he will play one more year of eligibility. And so if they sign him to a long-term deal next offseason, it would be, if there's a four-year deal, it's essentially a five. The Bengals have also picked up a fifth-year option for Joe Burrow. Jeff Okuda says that the trade to Atlanta is an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. And Quinnen Williams has tweeted after Joe Douglas said that he's optimistic about getting a deal done. Quinn and Williams made a tweet with him drinking sweet tea with air quotes around the word optimistic. Those are all the rumors for today. Other than this, just had two that I forgot I wrote down. I didn't have pictures of them. The Falcons have had discussions with teams about moving up and moving down. Also, apparently, last night, 
Bryce Young had dinner with the Carolina Panthers. Take that for what you will. Moving on to the final pieces of the draft, Cincinnati Bengals. At number 29, I have them taking running back out of Alabama, Jameer Gibbs. It's not about Gibbs not being talented enough as to why he fell off my top 10. It's not about Gibbs not being able to make it in the NFL. It's about Gibbs should not be drafted past, you know, 27. Before, I should say. But the Bengals, a team that I think want to extend Joe Burrow's career, they started to notice that they could do that with Samaje Ryan. Well, he left in free agency and went over to the Denver Broncos. So how do you fix that? Well, you let Joe Mixon walk. You let it happen. You trade him to a team that needs him. And you take Jameer Gibbs, and you basically tell Joe Burrow, when you're in trouble, dump it down. Dump it off. They come back at pick number 61 and take Tucker Craft, a tight end out of South Dakota State. They lost Hayden Hurst in the offseason. you gotta got to get a tight end. They did re-sign Drew Sample, but he's never struck fear in anybody's eyes. Number 93, I have them taking Kytrell Clark, a cornerback out of Louisville. Uh, Mike Hilton's contract is coming up, and Eli Apple has just been atrocious, so you got to replace both of them. The last pick that I made for the Cincinnati Bengals is Antonio Maffi, an interior offensive lineman from UCLA. Again, darts at the board. See what happens. The computer took over for me at pick number 165 and took Kayvon Merriweather as safety out of Iowa. They came back at pick number 208, and they took Nick Saldaveri, an offensive tackle out of Old Dominion. And here's something that I think is kind of intriguing. They have them taking a wide receiver that I'm surprised fell. Bryce Ford Wheaton, wide receiver out of West Virginia. If you believe the rumors, uh, Tyler Boyd is probably gone after this season. T. Higgins could be gone after this season. And so maybe it's Ford Wheaton's season after this. Let's move on to the Cleveland Browns. The Browns, I only got to make, let's see, five picks for them, or six, Wow, that, even though they don't pick until number 75 overall, they still have six picks in the top 150. At pick number 75, I have them taking an edge player, Byron Young. Their defense is what makes them good. Just continue to build that. Brandon Hill, a safety out of Pittsburgh at number 99. Pick number 112, Puka Nakua, a wide receiver out of BYU. Uh, Deshaun Watson needs some help. And Amari Cooper alone is not cutting it. Neither is Donovan Peoples-Jones. You could say that Elijah Moore will be that help, but Puka Nakua could also. At pick number 127, Tank Bigsby, running back out of Auburn. Again, darts at the board, guys. 127, you're going to take a guy that could potentially take over for Jerome Ford, and you're going to argue on that? Why would you? Make your running game better. They let Kareem Hunt go. Replace him. Pick number 142, one of my last two picks that I made for them. I have them taking Warren McClendon, an offensive tackle out of Georgia, and D. Winters, a linebacker out of TCU at 144. At 192, the CPU took over, and they have them selecting Cameron Young, interior defensive lineman from Mississippi State, and Blake Whitehart, tight end out of Wake Forest. Now we come to the team that I despise the most in all of sports, and it's the Baltimore Ravens. And I actually had to try. So at pick number 23, I have them taking Quentin Johnston, a wide receiver out of TCU. It's reported that Lamar Jackson wanted both DeAndre Hopkins and Odell Beckham Jr., and that the Ravens said we can only get one of those guys. 
So they went for the quote-unquote cheaper option and gave $18 million to Odell Beckham Jr. I'm not upset to see that, but I am a little surprised to see it. You do have Rashad Bateman. He's a pretty pretty big, tall threat, but it, it doesn't seem like Bateman is in good favor with the Ravens. So you take Quentin Johnston, who has the frame and size of a DeAndre Hopkins-style player, and you cross your fingers that Lamar Jackson will resign. There you go. At pick number 87, Darius Rush, cornerback out of South Carolina. Marcus Peters, free agent. On and on I could go. They need some cornerback help. My last pick for the Ravens that I made before the CPU took over is Andre Carter II, an edge player out of Army. And Clayton Toon was the first of the CPU picks. He's a quarterback out of Houston. And at 201, Jason Lola, interior D lineman, Notre Dame. And yes, we saved the best for last. And I'm not going to lie. You're going to accuse me of bias. But I promise you, I promise you, with 110%, I did not manipulate the board on purpose. Let's get started. At pick number 17, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers taking Christian Gonzalez, a cornerback out of Oregon. He's the best cornerback in this class, and the way that this draft went before some other rumors came out that Gonzalez might be the number 7th overall pick, it seemed like a slam dunk no-brainer. Well, but they need an offensive tackle, too. Well, at pick number 32, I have them taking Dewan Jones, an offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Dewan is a very raw prospect. I, I don't know that I liked the pick, but I made it because we needed an offensive tackle. He was the best one on the board. So that's what we did. At pick number 50, we managed to pull off another George Pickens, and we selected Jordan Addison, a wide receiver out of USC. Look, you can argue with me that you're going to start to say that I stacked this, but I'm going to tell you right now, Jordan Addison is falling, according to what I'm hearing. He's falling. And if that's true, if those rumors are accurate, him being available at pick 50 is not out of the realm of possibility because George Pickens was supposed to be a first-round wide receiver and we got him in the second round about the same spot. So let's go. Let's have some fun with it. At pick number 81, Jordan Battle, safety out of Alabama. He has reportedly, if I heard correctly, stated that the Steelers would be a dream fit, and I think he'd be a dream fit for the Steelers. You got Mink on one side, put Jordan on the other, and let's battle it out. Let's do it. That was pick number 80. Pick number 120, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers taking Mohamed Diabate, Diabate, a linebacker out of Utah. They need linebacker help. I think Mark Robinson could make a second-year leap and be a good player, but you need some linebacker help. So go ahead and take Diabate or Diabiti uh, and plug up that hole. Number 236 and 243, the CPU took over for me, and they have them taking some positions of quote-unquote need. I don't like the last pick of the draft that we have because I think we've already got that position kind of filled up, but Deion Bergen Jr., an interior defensive lineman out of Wake Forest, I'm okay with that. You know, a couple years ago we took Isaiah Bugs. That ended up being a pretty good pick, and I think you could do the same with Deion Bergen. 
And then finally, at pick number 243, Keaton Mitchell, running back, Eastern Carolina. And that's the draft, as I see it, as I would do it, as I would hope the Steelers could do it. If you told me those first four picks were what we were going to be able to do, I wouldn't complain about many of them, but maybe Dewan Jones. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that this happens. Tomorrow, you get a two for the price of one. I'm going to give you two mock drafts for the first round. One with trades and one without. And Monica will be joining to record that podcast with me and be a part of the last mock draft that we will make for the 2023 NFL Draft. Don't forget to subscribe on our other main show channel, Going on a Tangent, or GOAT. Don't forget to check out the episode yesterday I did with my son. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad that I got to have my son and then my dad today on. Who knows who we'll have on the next time? Who knows what guests we'll have on in the future? Until tomorrow, take care.